Well, welcome to week four of Lit Life Joe, where we are talking about the last friend, Zophar. Um, and Zophar says, you're an idiot and you know nothing, which is my favorite title so far. Today, we are joined by Marianne. Uh, Marianne, in case somebody doesn't know, would you give an introduction of who you are and just a little bit about yourself? My name is Marianne Carlberg. I'm married to this guy. I'm like we've been married 28. Something like that, right? 28. The nine, time just nine, flies by. 29. 20, no, 28, 28, right? Gosh, you guys yeah. must have been young when you got married. 14. Yeah, when we first got married, we moved a lot and then ended up back here. Like six times in the first oh, it was awful. two years we were yeah. married, I think. I used to teach junior high and then went back to school and now I work as a nurse. So what, if you have one, what is your favorite element memory? I think I really liked when we first started meeting and I don't remember, like it was under a hundred people and we would make a crock pot of food or something and then stay after, like have church, not really church because we couldn't call it church. And then we would like tear a wall down or take tile floor up or something like that. It's nice that everyone worked together doing something. You know, after you get established for a while, you you kind of lose that a little bit because it's it's there, it's established, it's kind of done, and then you relax. It seems like the when you have things for people to do, people become a lot more invested. Yeah. So we're talking about Zophar. Would you mind giving a recap? So today we get to Job's third friend named Zophar. The first friend Eliphaz shows up and he's got all these empty platitudes. The second friend Bildad has really a morality theology and like a faith theology. You do these things and God has to do this. Almost like a weird Christian voodoo thing. And Zophar shows up today and he's just like, you know, Job, you're an idiot. And anything that happens to you is really better than you deserve which I almost feel like is a little bit like my own theology for my own life at times, because I feel like anything that comes into my life is better than I deserve. Now, Zophar says this in a very condemning sort of way. Uh, but another thing that Zophar says, which is really interesting, is that, Job, you talk too much and you need to learn how to be quiet, which is also something that God himself will say when God shows up, though God's thing behind it is much different than Zophar. Zophar's is very judging. And when you look at how this is said in the book of Job, there's 31 chapters that Job and his friends will speak. 21 of those is Job actually speaking. And when God shows up, God will speak for four chapters and Job will interrupt God in the middle of it. And so Job does need to learn how to be silent. And when God says that, it's a way to remind Job of who he is, that God is sovereign. And that's what God does really for all of us, brings us back to himself in his grace to remind us of his sovereignty and that he is with us every step for our way, even in our pain and suffering. So this week we were talking about Zophar. He's the last of the three friends. So next week we, we begin turning a corner, right. but we'll save that for next week. So how has pain and tragedy caused you to wonder about God? And then how has pain and tragedy made you more dependent on God like nothing else? Well, that's a thing that's like, I think has always directed me, well, pain, like really physical pain, because that seems to be the thing that gets to me, like um, blowing out my knee in college and then not being able to play softball like I could. Physical pain seemed to be the thing that directs me because now, oh, you thought you were supposed to do this, but you can't because your Achilles heel hurts or your hand hurts. So you got to find something else to do or not do anything. And pain and things that happen, I don't 
I don't normally question God or his goodness or who he is. I just, I wonder what he's doing. It, it doesn't cause me to wonder about him and his goodness. It caused me to wonder, okay, well, what is he going to do? How is, we go back, you know, to element and all those years of trying to get ourselves a permanent home and buying this property, not buying this property. Could we buy the building we're in? Could we, we move over here? We Can went, we, and we just build the stupid building already? Yeah. No, you can't. Mm. City doesn't want you to. And we, and we <laughs> went and looked at a couple different places that maybe, maybe to buy and what that looked like. And, and everything was just like, no, no, no. And all these doors, it's like, and I never questioned God's goodness. You know, I questioned if maybe he wanted element to close at one point, you know, because this is what you're going for, God. I'm okay with it. I just need to, I'm, so I'm always wondering what he's doing, but not, I don't wonder if he's good. How was your faith and trust in that, in those moments? I don't, I can't think of a time where um, it, it, I didn't believe in God kind of thing, but just something would direct me in a different direction. And I'd be just like, oh, okay, I guess this is where we're going. Mm. There, there is a difference for people, I think, who walk through certain things that are difficult to understand the goodness of God better. Like, I think our board, you know, with all the things we're going for and pushing for and trying to get happen, Pete, you know, I think he sees all of these things and we're in the middle of it. And there's a lot of people at Element who weren't in the middle of it. They just, we keep saying, hey, this is what's happening here. This is what's going on. But they weren't in the middle of it every single day. And so we end up getting this property by the miracle and the grace of God that it is. We're just like, wow, this is amazing. And other people are like, why would you move there? And it's like all the steps and processes you don't see. And I think that's for all of our lives. I think a lot of people have things happen in their lives. And sometimes we're like, well, yeah, that's neat. But why are you so excited about it? Because they lived it. They, they lived what brought them to that place. And we don't see it, but they do. So where do you guys find silence in your life? I think that's why I like the beach and trees and lakes because it's quiet there. When do you? Well, and then when we went, like when we went to Colorado and just the place that looked like Sedona that we went and visited. Oh, that what's that really, called? You were there. Garden of the Gods. Gods. Yeah, that's just pretty. It was cold though. It's still pretty. Yeah, but there, there are places that work like that to, if you want to go, because some people, they, they... I like to drive. I like you? to take a drive. Is, is that where you get your silence? It's one of them. I don't know. I, I feel like when I drive, sometimes I do that. But sometimes there are just places and times to get away from everything. Yeah. Like I, you used to go to Point Sal. Yeah. When you could drive out there. I am not doing the four-mile hike <laughs> like Mike Harmon does. But I used to go to Point Sal by myself and just sit on a rock and I would pray. I think a lot of people could maybe find the places where they could learn how to be quiet and sit in silence if they would experiment a bit. Because for other different people, different things happen. You know, could could be in the backyard sitting around the fire pit. <laughs> it could be uh, at at the beach at Point Sal. It could be a walk. Could be a drive. Could be all those things. But if no one, if people haven't really experienced it, then maybe they need to experiment with certain things and see what actually works for them. And maybe they'll find something that works. Like is doing the lawn one for you? Just kidding. Because you do. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, because you put your ears in. I do. And sometimes you don't turn anything on. It just muffles everything up. Like, hey, we saw your, saw your gardener out working on the yard. I'm like, <laughs> the guy in the, in the hat with the backpack on? Yeah. And that was Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, people said that to me. They come by the house and I'm working out front. And, and they'll be like, hey, I saw your gardener. And I go, that was me. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, like, as friends of people, as... Um, ministers of the gospel how 
I was wondering if you had an example of a time where you maybe have given bad advice or stepped into somebody's situation, like you said, spoke a lot of words. Um, and, ha and how no, do you- cause I have learned not to talk a lot because people generally really don't want advice. Hmm. They just want to talk. And well, so they'll talk and see, he's trying to talk again. Oh, no, no, I was gonna... <laughs> And so people will say that they've been- You should be here every week. <laughs> people will like ask you a question and then you might start to answer them and then they just start to talk and, and you're like, oh, they don't really want an answer. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the hour long thing that you were sitting there talking with them, they're like, oh, well, Marianne said, Marianne agrees with me on this. And I was like, I, I, no, I didn't, I didn't agree with you on anything. You were just talking at me coming, like processing through all the stuff that's in your brain and mm -hmm. you came up with your own answer, which is good that you, figure it out but generally people don't want I find that generally people don't really want advice they just want to talk hmm. that's that's Sunday morning messages too I I can give a message and someone inevitably maybe once a month at least will come up to me and say oh you said this and it really touched me and I didn't say that and that happens in a lot of conversations. You you talk to people, people have an idea of what they want to hear. I had this conversation in my office with somebody and and they asked me what I thought, what I would do in their situation. And I said, well, I would probably do this. And I tried to steer them back to what God was calling to do. And in the end, they went out and did the exact same thing they wanted to do when they first walked in. Hmm. And they just said, thanks for really helping me. And I'm like, I didn't help you at all. I... Well, and then if you keep bringing them back to the Bible, like what the direct them that way, then even if they do the thing that they wanted to do, eventually they'll remember, they'll come to a place and then they'll remember, oh yeah, that says this in the Bible somewhere hmm. <laughs> or something. Cause it's not your words that help somebody really. It's hmm. God's. Hmm. You're just the, the conduit, the vessel. <laughs> if you let yourself stay silent when somebody's talking to you, then sometimes they can come around to God, what God wants, because you're not getting in the way. Natural for us to put what we know into it, but that might not be what they need to hear. They need to hear what God knows. Kind of when kids are on a stage doing a play or whatever, the parents cheer for them. And no little kids doing a play. It's it's never perfect. They're looking left and right. They're picking their nose. They're doing whatever. And yet the parents are cheering for them. But they cheer for them because of the relationship they have to the kid. Not because they did a great job. I mean, in their minds, they probably think they did a good My kid was the best one up there. Right. Sure. Um, but they cheer because of that relationship. And God cheers us on because of our relationship. It's like, I know this is hard and you're going through this, but there's something great. And the other thing with us is we're just not alone on that stage. You know, Christ walks with us. It's about a relationship with him in that. And so there is encouragement that comes from God in the midst of all the things that we go through. And that's, I think, what we learn when we trust him in the midst of the pain and the hardship. And if we could steer one another back to remember God's goodness and grace in how we speak to one another, in the advice that we give, I think that would speak volumes. I'm just remembering that you said something about karma for Zophar. Oh, yeah. Car yeah, Zophar almost so, has, has this karma mentality a little bit in what he says. Well, you deserve this. So you did this. So you deserve that. Not that there aren't consequences to our actions. Right, because you reap what you sow. Right. 
Right. There is a principle of reaping what you sow, right. but it's not. Yeah, but, but karma yeah. is no matter what it is, you deserve it. And salvation is something we don't deserve. This is why Christianity is diametrically opposed to karma. We're not trying to pay off our debt. We're not trying to pay off our sin. And yet a lot of people see life and even Christianity that way at times. And sometimes well, people will come and they will want to self-flagellate, you know, where monks would whip themselves on the back. They would deny themselves. Lent, you know, that some people, some people, some people do that because they feel this will ingratiate me to God. I will pay off some of my sin by doing this, and I think it's also why we have a hard time offering grace to one another because we don't understand the grace that we received ourselves. What What is the advice when someone feels that they deserve the pain and calamity in their life, and it's it, whether it's a direct result of their sin or not? How do you How do you give them that hope first off that we always speak with god's grace you know god's grace is bigger than we are and it's big enough to cover us that doesn't mean that consequences for our actions aren't still there but that doesn't have to translate into our worth before god yes we make dumb decisions you look at the world right all the the calamity in the world and the way that you know crazy things keep happening is because sin entered the world because of us we we have caused this and yet God still brings redemption to us in the person of Christ. Sitting in a place of, woe is me, this thing happened, it doesn't serve to grow us. It, it doesn't serve to glorify God. What serves to glorify God is recognizing our failure and our sin, repenting, meaning returning away from it, walking away from it, returning to who God calls us to be, and walking with Him. It, it, it serves no purpose to wallow in our own misery that we have created because it's become self-focused and we stop focusing on who God is and we're never going to grow that way. When we have a lot of words, what we tend to do is start to listen to ourselves and not listen to God. And, and that's one of the things that kind of happens to Job. I think Job starts speaking so much and saying so many things that Job stops hearing God. So how do we prevent that? I, well, I think it's one of the things that God reminds us throughout the scriptures, that he is God and we are not. Like one, one of the things says in, in Psalms, you know, be still and know that I am God. We're, we're so busy all the time doing so many things that we stop being still and we stop listening to who God is. Do you find sitting in that silence hard? Um, I remember a time when I was in college and I didn't know, and like one of the recessions had hit. And so there was like nothing back where I grew up. And I didn't, and I hadn't heard from any of the schools that I had applied to to teach. And I remember just thinking, what am I going to do? And I woke up in the middle of the night and then I just opened my Bible and started to pray. And I, I'm not somebody who hears God, but I swear that I heard, be still. And, and I'm like, because there's a girl that slept on the bunk above me. She was asleep. The one across, they were all sleeping. And I was like, weird. Hmm. So this week, really think about that way. Think of ways to not speak so much and ways to spend in silence before God. And if you're walking through with someone there through their pain and suffering, uh, sitting with them and leading them back to the cross and leading them to scripture more so than your words. Although there's a time and place for that. Uh, but maybe there's a, a time and season first of stopping and listening to what God has to say to you or to them um, and grow together through silence. 
Um, and because in Job the silence was beautiful. It was, and, and then it all the, goes downhill. And then it all goes downhill with with the words. Uh, so as we wrap up the three friends, next week we're going to look at a brand new character in the story. Uh, many people actually haven't spent a lot of time looking at him uh, in the midst of it, but what he does is prepares the way uh, for God. So we'll see you next week. I don't know. What, what other really bad advice have I given to people? I feel like I give people bad advice all the time. That's why I stopped trying to give advice. I think all the bad advice I give to people isn't necessarily about God. I think it's when people say, want to do something, and I just encourage them to do the craziest <laughs> thing they want to do. Like, uh, you know, should I burn this Christmas tree in my backyard? You should totally burn that Christmas tree in your backyard. Let me know when I will come over with the camera and film it. Because, you know, I... I, I Stay I, tuned after this episode. <laughs> I have a video. I know you do. <laughs>